Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the new breed tech platform used by 15,000 recruiters worldwide. Vincere is the secret weapon for progressive recruitment firms. It provides recruiters with everything they need to scale from CRM slash ATS through to online timesheets, websites and analytics. A true all-in-one growth platform built by recruiters for recruiters. Learn more about Vinny's story on my exclusive interview with their founder on episode 43 of this podcast. If you're looking for a new recruitment CRM to accelerate growth, visit vincere.io slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Happy New Year. Welcome along to another episode of Talent Talk Asia podcast. Another dose of motivation, inspiration, tips and compelling stories of talented people sitting in Asia. Now, before I get going with today's episode, I want to thank you to all those people that have rated our previous episodes. It might seem a small thing to you, but it means a great deal for me. For me to deliver this content every month, ratings and reviews are so important. So if you can just take a few minutes to rate and review on whatever platform you use, it really would help. Thank you. Now, today I'm joined by Adam Carabetta. He is the co-founder of Formative Search. Now, Formative Search focus on new energies, legal and technology. Now, before setting up his own recruitment business, Um, formative search with business partner Nick Ryland. Adam worked for Drake International as a manager on the renewable energy desk for over five years and hydrogen group for three years as a team leader focusing on oil and gas. Now I've known these guys for over a year and we had the opportunity to work together last quarter when the entire team enrolled on the Career Establishment's strengths-based business development program. So I am just really excited to let you into the world of formative search today. Now, this was definitely one of my most favorite episodes to record. Adam comes across as really genuine, a real genuine leader that's curious and passionate about the industry that he recruits, but he also brings this this really big heart and soul to how he leads his business with Nick. So you're going to learn a little bit more about how they go about attracting talent, but also just on a more personal level, how he gets into really understand his employees' drive and motivations and how he's using that to build a high-performing team. So this is what you can expect from today's pod. I like to think I'm a, I'm a humble guy. I'm not the the number one authority, I think, when it comes to recruitment agencies. I, yes, I feel like we built up a successful, great business I'm proud of, but we made a lot of missteps. So I think my answer to that question will be based on more my experience on what we didn't want and and how that mattered for what we did want to build and I mean a lot of listeners I'm sure a lot of people I work with you work with have come from those I'm sure a lot of your guests as well have come from those really I guess iconic traditional big pioneering recruitment agencies and they're great at what they do big question are they still relevant for this time are they relevant only for a certain amount of people where they're happy with the collateral damage of knowing 80% will churn after 12 months or only 50% will stay after the first year or two. If it works for them, it works for them, right? A lot of these businesses are hugely successful. What we have is our business and the community that we wanted to build. I think it was really paramount and important and continues to be to just talk about vision, where we're going. Like, why are you here? What's driving someone to come here and to trade their time? I always think about that. 
Enjoy the show. Hi, Adam. Hi. Good evening, Andrew. How are you? Good, thanks. Good to see you. Gongsi Gongsi, isn't it? Yes, I guess. My 12th one in Singapore. Oh my gosh, that is a long time. I don't even want to count how many. It just show my age, to be honest. Now, for those listeners um, out there, I am sitting in Formative Search's new offices. Yes, that's right. Pretty cool. Yeah, we're going for a treehouse effect. It does feel like a treehouse effect, and it's actually quite big. It's a yeah, bit deceiving from outside, isn't it? It's a bit like a TARDIS. It beats the, uh, you know... 14 square foot office that Nick and I shared when we first started six years ago. That's for sure. Yeah, I love it. I really like it. It's really nice. And you've got this outdoor bar area as well. Yeah, we kind of wanted to create this kind of rooftop garden feel. So we're just putting vertical garden, getting some plants and it'd be great for internal, but also for external events with our clients and candidates. So looking forward to getting that done finally. Yeah. And a podcast. You're doing a podcast, aren't you? I, I've done nine episodes. Wow. <laughs> nine. What's it called? <laughs> Should have done more. It's called Recharge, Talking New Energy. So we start the 10th episode again uh, next Friday. Wow. Quick little cheap plug for my podcast. Yeah, I love here. it. No, we love a good podcast. We do love <laughs> yeah. a good podcast. We, we have on um, the Women in Recruitment Asia group, the resources section, we have a podcast section. And I'm just feeling really guilty because I don't actually think I've put yours on there. <laughs> That's Okay. That's fine. So we'll, I'll listen I'll, to some. and then No, we've got a few from different recruitment firms, like whether, you know, all different type, you know, legal ones from recruiters doing it, but okay. we don't actually have your one. So maybe we'll look at that. Right. Today, I wanted to kind of get into the heart of formative search because I've been working with you guys since last year. And I thought it'd be really nice just to um, share a little bit more about your story, mm-hmm. about Nick's story in terms of the organization. Sure. So what made you decide to go it alone and sort of set up your own business? Because obviously before you were working in another recruitment firm, mm. which wasn't yours. I mean, I looked at that question and it's, and it's a really, you know, I guess a hard hitting question because I love to think that there's some grand, grand impetus to the decision to start your own business. And for Nick and I, at least, it wasn't so much that. It was more, I think, driven out of necessity. I think coming to a point where in your career, you worry more about the feeling of regret if you didn't take the decision. And I was thinking at the time, you know, turning 30, I didn't want to look back in 10 years' time and think, well, I should have had a real red-hot crack at that and take the risk and start by myself. And I think it was more the maybe driven by fear basis that I at least wanted to to go out and create my my own business with Nick. But we just got frustrated with the big agency feel. You know, you're giving two-thirds of your hard work away to someone who doesn't know your name and you're not really getting anything back in return. and. Mm. We just got a bit fed up with that and we wanted to build and create our own community. But that's, I mean, that's a brave move, isn't it? You know, it, it's funny, right? Because you speak to a lot of people that want to start their own business, yeah. you know, especially in, in my space. And I think a lot of people overestimate actually right. what it is. And, and I used this exercise. I had a, a mentor back in Perth at the time and, uh, you know, he came out to Singapore for a coffee and I said, look, I want to start my own business. What do you think? And he put me through this mental exercise. It sounds really quite basic and simple now that I, um, you know, go back and, and discuss it. But he said, what's the worst case scenario for you? If this doesn't work out, what happens? I said, well, you know, I fail and, you know, I'm financially crippled and everything. He said, okay, well, what does that look like? Hmm. And we did this exercise where we wrote down a sequence of events, worst case scenario. And we wrote it down and we went to 
the likely, well, what would happen in the scenario where we failed? What would be likely? And it turned out that it wasn't as bad as I imagined. Well, it was more my ego being damaged. It was more my sense of pride, the the sense of self-respect. But my family would be alive. We would probably move back to Perth and have my tail between my legs having to live with my mum and dad for a while. But he said, could you start again? Yeah, I I could start again. Just having that exercise there to visualise what failure would look like and knowing it's not the end of the world. I know it sounds very cliché. Mm. And it really isn't. And I think a lot of people overestimate um, the risk and the challenges ahead. And I think if they could really walk themselves through a mental exercise to understand that the barriers may not be as large and insurmountable as they actually are. Yeah, I suppose it's it. also everyone's relationship that they have with failure, right? Like sometimes people can look <laughs> at failure and go, actually, a bit of failure is okay. And I, I know I can kind of draw upon my own skills or people around me. And I've done it before and I can do it again. But if people haven't, haven't quite realised what their relationship is with failure, that kind of looking at starting your own business will be so unreachable, right? They couldn't quite see it. Absolutely. I think it's something to sort of for people to sort of discover um, themselves a little bit more, isn't it, in that whole process? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's definitely a moment where you really have to be very introspective, though. You really have to, mm. as you said and pointed out, you know, the fear element is, is huge in this. But it, it's really the ability to you know, kind of stare down what stopped you in the past from, you know, achieving a certain level of success or what would stop you, you know, moving forward. And I guess there is maybe a a psychological element that's probably maybe the biggest factor at play. But I I certainly believe that a lot of people could go off and start their own ventures. Yeah. They have the right amount of tools, the network, the access to capital. It's more that uh, self-limiting belief that they have. Yeah, no, I agree. And when you decided to set up on your own, had you always, had Nick and yourself always, always thought you'd go in it together or like what made you decide to be two founders as opposed to having competing recruitment firms? Yeah. I, again, I like to say we had some grand plan, but it was really a decision <laughs> over a kebab just downstairs here on Circular, <laughs> Circular Road really more than anything. It's come um, full circle then, hasn't it? The fact that you're back, you're, you're in this office. Yeah, no, it it certainly wasn't. But I I will say, so, you know, I I love working with Nick. He's he's a great friend and he's a fantastic business partner. And when people ask me about that relationship, I say, you know, the truth that, hey, not every business partnership is ideal. It's like a marriage. Yeah. You know, and for people out there who are married, it's hard work. You have to put up with a lot. And sometimes there's disagreements and differences in opinion. But can you trust the person? Yeah, I, I could trust this guy. And for me, that was just paramount. Yeah. So how do you split up your work with each other? Like who decided who was doing what? Like was it kind of sit down, yeah, this is what I enjoy doing? Like what, how, how did all that come about? That's a, a really still coming about? Really good question. He should be here for that question. Yeah, actually. he should. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think a lot of it has come from just knowing what we're good at, what we're not so good at. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you know, we were friends before we started the business. And I think having that friendship the, the knowability, the likability, the trust factor, we're able to sit down at an impromptu moment, maybe it would even be a Monday morning where we're like, look, let's grab a coffee. You know, I'm feeling a certain way. Oh, hey, man, let's grab a lunch. We need to chat about something. I think having that ability to uh, not feel hamstrung because you're worried or you don't feel you could trust that person. And I think that's what enab- has enabled us at least to have a pretty prosperous relationship. Mm, that's really nice because I think sometimes you can see – um, 
different types of personalities as founders and sometimes it just doesn't work right there isn't that underlying kind of values or that foundation between two people so it's nice to hear that that is going well I think the friendship yeah. is probably I mean I was interested when you said about the friendship is it still a friendship or is that morphed into something different now mm. that you're actually working together it's a really good question I, I think the friendship certainly has changed and not for anything anything sinister I mean we're both busy and we have our own families and lives and there's, there's still respect for that but we still certainly could grab a beer together and have a chat um, but I do think the friendship has been compartmentalized for obvious reasons that we have the shared goal that uh, you know the business is, is taking precedent in terms of the relationship working together. And how often do you get together strategically and do you bring others in to kind of stimulate your thinking together if you've been friends before you've worked together before how much do you sort of inject I asked two questions then. That's really confusing. I'll ask the first one again. How often do you get together and talk strategically? Not enough to answer the question there, but I think and one of the benefits of the relationship we have being quite spontaneous and you know, being quite intuitive, instinctive, is that when we will sit together for a lunch, it just opens the door for us to talk about right. strategy, vision, and right. we may not have these moments where we decide to to do it. We do have moments like that, usually, you know, once a month or so, of course. We sit down every Monday to discuss areas of the business we need to give attention to. But I feel we're, we're in that kind of unrestricted, very open, comfortable environment. We're able to really – well, at least in my opinion, Andrea, I'm, I'm that type of person where I feel sometimes you really need to go through a lot of layers to get to the truth. And I think – Having a lot of structure is great at times, but it can mm. restrict you mm. from the very core. Yeah. Like what's driving you? Yeah. You know, also just I think the ability for someone to be really, truly honest, you're only really able to do that if you have that level of comfort. Yeah, someone, and you right? can't recreate that in a sometimes structured, we're sitting down on a quarterly event, it's on this time. You know, are you ready on that sometimes? Where you're So what you're saying is that sometimes over lunch, we can cut through and go straight to what we need to be talking about through that friendship and trust. And it could be a, a like a power hour strategy it, chat. Absolutely. Spontaneous. I, I think there's so much power in the ability for someone just to sit with someone, be present over mm -hmm. a glass of wine, water, coffee, whatever, but just really be honest and talk, you know, like you would do with your spouse or, you know, best mm -hmm. friend when you have to share and open up. Granted, there's times you feel a little bit inhibited to do so. I think one of the, the benefits and, well, at least with Nick and I, I think what's worked so well is that, we don't have those layers and restrictions so much with each other. Mm. We're quite uninhibited and we've been through a lot together, you know, the good, bad and the ugly. Um, so I think that's important. But, you know, for example, our 2025 vision we put together last year and we spent time with, uh, with the team to discuss it. I presented it before Christmas and we gave a considerable amount of thought to that. And so it also opened up our eyes on the flip side that we probably do need to pay more attention to the structure setting of these mm. discussions. At As times. you get bigger. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? So as you get bigger, so let's go back. So you, you left an environment that was quite structured and you wanted, was it quite structured? Did I put words in your mouth then? Um, yes and no. Certainly, okay. certainly st structures you could be for a, a multinational recruitment agency. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so is that something that you want to steer away from and prefer the spontaneity of more... Um, moments 
or do you feel now that as a because the business is getting bigger, I can see how many desks you've got in this office, right? Mm. Is it at that point where there, there has to be introduced a little bit more time for you guys to strategically think to push each other to that next level? You know, I'm, I'm certainly, I like to think I'm a, I'm a humble guy. I'm not the, you know, the, the number one authority, I think, when it comes to recruitment agencies. I, yes, I feel like we built up a successful, great business I'm proud of, but we made a lot of missteps. So I think my answer to that question will be based on more my experience on what we didn't want yeah, and, and how yeah. that matter for what we did want to build. And I mean, a lot of listeners, I'm sure, a lot of people I work with, you work with, have come from those, I'm sure a lot of your guests as well, have come from those really, I guess, iconic, traditional, yeah. um, you know, big pioneering recruitment agencies. Yeah. And they're great at what they do. Mm. Big question, are they still relevant for this time? Are they relevant only for a certain amount of people where they're happy with the collateral damage of knowing 80% will churn after 12 months or only 50% will stay after the first year or two? If it works for them, it works for them, right? A lot of these businesses are hugely successful. What we have is our business and the community that we wanted to build. I think it was really paramount and important and continues to be to just talk about vision, where we're going like, why are you here? What's driving someone to come here and trade their time? I always think about that mm. a lot as well. Like, I don't want to be on a tangent here, but a lot of the no, questions no, I no. ask when we bring people into the business was, imagine, I ask them, and this is a great question because I love how people respond just with that initial reaction. I'll say, what if, firstly ask them, how much do you need to live? And they say, what do you, what do you mean? I say, well, What's your cost base? Like how much would you need to say live here in Singapore or live back home and meet all your financial obligations, have some money left over, think in the future adjusted for inflation, like how much would you need each month? Some people will start off and say something a bit silly, like oh, I need $50,000 a month. No, you don't. Like look mm -hmm. at your cost base. And most people settle anywhere from as low as 5000 usually around 15000 Singapore dollars-ish. So, okay, great. So what if I could guarantee that to you? Imagine that I'm not a prospective employer, but I'm just someone that could guarantee that to you on the first day of every month for the rest of your life. And sometimes they ask a few questions about, well, no, what do you mean working with you? No, no, like forget working with me. Like that money will be in your bank account, guaranteed to the day you die. What do you do with your time? And it's a really... It's, it's a hard-hitting question because you, you watch that person and they just sit back mm. and they take a moment. Mm. And then what follows next I think is really paramount. And I, I love the responses I've heard over the years. So I've the, never, the meaning of that will be very different for different people. I yeah, suppose, I mean, sometimes someone will say, oh, I'd be sitting on a beach drinking cocktails. Well, how long would you do that for? Yeah. A month, two months, three yeah. months before you turn really fat and anyway. lazy? No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, so – but then you get – of responses like, well, um, I love to build a sustainable farm in the Philippines. I love to build an animal shelter in Singapore. Um, I'd volunteer. Like really good things come back. But my point is, okay, okay, if that's your vision, mm -hmm. what does it mean then for being here and how does that help you to build that vision? Yeah. Whether you're here for, I like to think, you know, beyond uh, you know, a year or two, but whether you're here for a year or two or three or five, how does that feed into that vision? I think that's really important because we've seen it in this, in this industry. People just float. Like, I mean, I fell into this industry and thankfully I kind of made it work and 
Now, I love what I do, but a lot of people just kind of fall into it and end up being really, you know, divergent in their career um, choices and decisions. But I really always think about why you're here, why you're training your time, what's this going towards? And I always try and bring that back as much as possible with the team, where we're going, what's this all for, mm. basically. You, you do your best with those um, discussions, but they're really quite, they're hard hitting. So there isn't a specific answer that's, that you're looking for. Is it more just then how that ties into your own value system, your own purpose? Is it? Well, I'd be worried if someone says, you know, they want to go off and start a gentleman's club or something like that, right? But why? But what? But why? No, maybe, okay, I shouldn't say that. I mean, why not? I mean, it's kind of their goals and what they want to put that money to doesn't actually matter, does it? Yeah, 100%. It It doesn't all have to be noble and, you know. No, it doesn't have to be. It's just kind of what, I suppose it's just trying to find out one are they able to think on their feet and have a goal, first of all? Or is it just a job? That's one thing, isn't it? There's lots coming up to that. You mentioned before about community. So what does community mean? It's a good question. And I think, again, from, from our respect, I think it's, it's a team of builders that are building something together. For me, community is people that collectively are building something. And where do you feel those builders are now? Like, where are you at now? Like, if you were to describe your current state now, where are you at that building? It's really now about, we want the business to be less about Nick and I. Okay. And it's about you, you the team. And how do you do that? Uh, a lot of encouraging, um, removing as many barriers as possible. For example, if you have an observation and you feel you want to take action, say there's a gap in the business in some regards in the back office, you should feel uninhibited to voice up to the people that need to hear about what you want to do and why that's a problem or how that could be better. So I think creating that environment at least as much as possible from the top down, bottom up, sideways where people feel comfortable to rather than react to take action. And, and that's something that we're really working on at the moment is when people see something, they shouldn't have to wait. They have the opportunity. So how has that gone over time then? Is that something that's always been something you've wanted or is that, has there been a few missteps along the way? Ma- massive before? amount of missteps. Massive yeah. amount of missteps. And I think, you know, Nick and I started out, frankly speaking, you know, it was just us two wanted to build something, but we wanted to, you know, get away from something rather than create something. But over time, after the first year or two, we realised, well, actually, like, we could really create something pretty awesome. So then we started moving from that mentality of it's just us yeah. to it's more than us. It's about them. And we're going through that major transition now as well where we really have to now um, get the business to the point where it should almost not need Nick and I. So how do you get, how do you get to that point? Is, I mean, have you, is that more the, like, the infrastructure side? Is that succession planning? Is that training? Like, what? It's, it's, it's got exactly? to come down to the people. It's got to come down to the people that want to take our spot, that back this business, stay by the vision. They want to be along for the journey. And they know that we won't achieve that vision unless they're taking a, a, a critical role in the business. So when you say a critical role, does that mean then there is a future where you guys take a step back and there's someone running Singapore, there's someone running another office? Like, What does that really mean when you say that they are going to take those spots? Well, and maybe it's just Nick and I and the way we look at it, but we would be 
I, I, I'd imagine if I look at the true definition of success for, for where we are and what we're doing is the ability to work ourselves out of the role. So someone can come in who has the capability, skill set, this experience and network, enough of the tools to go, great, like, thank you guys, I'll take the, the torch now. That's what we want. Could you walk away from it? Um, I think about it a lot, especially coming from a two-week holiday in Phuket. We oh. could, I, could I just work from here? Like I, bet. A, I think everyone's had the same thoughts, like a, haven't they? I said to the guys, like, oh, no, 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 you can't do it. I said, well, maybe I could. Um, so that's, that's a, a different uh, time to ask, answer the question. Not, <laughs> yeah, maybe I should ask it a few months' time. I'll, After Formula One, maybe, where there's stuff going on in Singapore, you feel a bit more happy to be around here. Yeah, whenever that is. But no, I do feel... <laughs> I, I love I love my industry. I've always worked in energy. I think it's just such a cool industry. We're going through this renaissance with the energy transition. So I don't think I'd ever want to completely step away. I think I'd have mm-hmm. the opportunity to probably stay in a almost like a BD director account management role where which is almost where I'm moving a lot of my role at the moment. It's you know feeding the team a lot of opportunities, bringing them on the journey, on the relationship, right. making the client feel comfortable to not feel like they always need to go to me. Right. And that's, that's a challenging piece. And yeah, I've got it. So for those listeners that aren't so familiar with formative search, you, you look after the energy part and then Nick New energies. New energies. So I'd like to know a little bit more about what that means. And then can you just kind of give me um, what, what Nick does? Sure. Like the whole legal so thing. new energies is anything to do with renewable energy, renewable power, sustainability, ESG, you know, decarbonization, climate tech. All the industries right now, which are all the rage. Yeah, I'm hearing right? a lot of so, this. I have no idea what it means, but I'm hearing a lot of this. Yeah. Well, you, you need to know. I mean, this is where yeah. the world's yeah. – we're already heading my, in that direction. To be honest, my children are amazing. at the, the stuff that they talk about at the dinner table about sustainable energy is just incredible. So The new generation are just yeah. being bred with this you know, ingrained belief that all of the decisions in life will be you know, really sourced from – a viewpoint of sustainability, yeah. yes, I believe. It's incredible. It's really quite refreshing. It is. So, and Nick would cover the uh, legal, yep. compliance, corporate governance space. And that team is incredibly robust and successful. And, and actually, you know, where we probably drive most of, of the business over the last year, especially with a huge push in Singapore for increased compliance and governance, yeah. risk management. Um, so Nick would essentially manage that team. And when I say manage a team, I mean, obviously we have our – two respective teams and we take on the hats of management. But at the same token, you know, the team feels comfortable to go to him from my team, would feel comfortable to go to Nick with right. problems, vice versa. So we have a lot of shared responsibilities in right. the coaching of the teams. Right. Um, and so in terms of kind of the growth for the, like the whole renewable energy side, is it, is it really candidate short, you know, with all the kind of challenges that we've got with Singapore at the moment with the kind of visas and stuff like that? Like what's, what's, the, mar- what's the market like? Oh, it, that's a really big question. I think firstly, just to point out, so renewable energy, you know, six years ago at least when I started the business in renewable energy, it was very nascent. It was very introductory. Mm. You had to really convince people about the, the promise. I, I remember, you know, just a side note, I – used to work next door to another recruiter. I won't say the name. Um, you know, in the first or second space we worked in, in Jesco in Robinson Road. And, uh, you know, he laughed at me one day when I said, I'm doing renewable energy. Wow. So okay. All right. Well, let's see in a few more years. And 
Yeah. You know, here's what it is. But at that what, time. What happened to that recruiter? Let, let's just say they're not doing as well as we are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, you know, at that time, that was a lot of the, um, the belief. And yeah. renewables was like, oh, this thing's like never yeah. going to happen, right? And just the world so drastically changed. So now, yeah. especially after COVID, which really accelerated the energy transition war where you had people on the fence thinking, oh, should we commit to a net zero target? Should we do something about sustainable corporate sustainability agenda? COVID, for whatever reason, I really can't describe it, but just pushed everyone over the fence onto the side of you need Why? to do something. Why was that? In my opinion, Andrew, I think this collective consciousness, I mean, you've been present as much as I have the last two years. And I think this belief of like a virus is dirty. And then it exposes you to seeing, oh my God, India, there's a billion plus people there, 1.3 billion people. This thing's spreading like wildfire yeah. and you've got people, you know, living in horrific conditions. Mm. And then you start opening your eyes to the fact that we've just massively disregarded as a, a civilization basic things that matter, like health. And then you think yeah. about pollution, then you see a YouTube video where there's a dolphin swimming in the canals of Venice and you think, oh, wow, okay, that... That's because there's no tourists there, right? right That's because there's no, right. you know, oil being dumped yeah. into the water. Even Singapore water's looking a lot cleaner than it's ever done. Oh, I don't know if that's possible, but no, it is. Yeah, yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you know, so with that, I think there's this kind of collective, collective consciousness of maybe we should go clean. Like, maybe this is where we need to go, and then just it drove the world in this, you know, tremendous movement. So now renewables is like it's there. Isn't it's already it interesting done. that that drive, I mean, it's even to little things that if I was just bringing that back to just your own personal level, I don't know about you, but I went into the whole home garden, you know, doing your, growing your own vegetables because you didn't want to just be reliant yeah. on what, you know, what was coming in, especially to somewhere like Singapore, what you're actually really eating. Um, okay. It wasn't a huge success. I got the odd cucumber or whatever, but there was a big drive for people to be focusing on growing their own vegetables absolutely I mean, that, it's just these little yep. it's just these little steps that people can make yep. right or reducing the amount of meat that they consume mm -hmm. right it's, it's just provoked us to really right. rethink our behaviors right and i think that's yeah. really resonated now amongst the global community certainly amongst the business world and i mean it, it's interesting I, I don't want to bore you with it but i had a really interesting meeting earlier with a long-time client and candidate of mine and i said to him what do you think the future of oil and gas is going to be? Mm. And um, I think what's interestingly, you know, from his response was the fact that companies are just scared to do anything that goes against the grain right now. So oil companies don't want to drill oil. You know, they don't want to go out and explore the new fields. But the reality is, as much as I hate to say, like, we still do need yeah. oil and gas for a period of time. So are we going to be in this position where there's just not enough oil and gas and we've mm. relied on renewables and mm. we're at this point of, oh, actually, yeah. like, we still need oil and gas and it's not enough of it. Yeah. And that could well, disrupt. Or they rebrand it. <laughs> Let's be honest, see some of these adverts for the oil companies. You don't actually know that it's really After oil. After we've destroyed the world yeah, for 100 years. Yeah, I mean, years, they are so, so we're doing fantastic good. at how they market their adverts. <laughs> I mean, it's probably just more of a rebranded exercise than anything. Who's, who knows? Uh, yeah, look, I mean, they, they saw the writing on the wall, I think, a few years ago. But I, I imagine a lot of them as well, and I don't want to say anything defamatory. You know, a lot of them are my clients, and I think they are taking, you know, actions to do things. But they did see the writing on the wall, but I think even they were surprised about the transition, yeah. how quickly accelerated. So how are you going about trying to find, 
Oh, it's, I mean, it's a million dollar question trying to find good recruiters in your space because to me it sounds like such a innovative industry that you've got to need someone that's quite curious that it isn't your bog standard financial finance and accounting of a career is it here right it's you know it, it's it's evolving as an industry so what types of profiles have worked for you guys within your team for that particular sector Hey listeners, time for you to grab a cuppa or maybe a chance to catch your breath on your morning run. Now, whilst you're doing that, I want to share with you one of our new training programs for 2022. So if you're a recruitment firm and you have some new starters joining and you're really struggling to put time aside to get them up and running, then our two-week bite-sized e strengths onboarding program may be just what you're looking for. We will get your new starters become really familiar with your values, your mission, your purpose, your structure, what your commissions look like, your rituals, and so that we will get them up and running and productive as quickly as possible. So if you're interested to hear more about that, reach out for a discussion. The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the new breed tech platform used by 15,000 recruiters worldwide. Vincere is the secret weapon for progressive recruitment firms. It provides recruiters with everything they need to scale from CRM slash ATS through to online timesheets, websites and analytics. A true all-in-one growth platform built by recruiters for recruiters. Learn more about Vinny's story on my exclusive interview with their founder on episode 43 of this podcast. If you're looking for a new recruitment CRM to accelerate growth, visit vincere.io slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and I think about where we probably haven't given enough attention to, especially I look at some of the success with my competitors who I respect massively. I think they've done really well to just continuously bring in really good people. But in saying that, you have to sometimes, I think, now meet 20 people and one or two would be actually a fit for you. Not to say that 18 people are rubbish. I wouldn't say that. But to get that alignment, I think you do have to now go out across a more diverse range of backgrounds. And I think we need to do more of that and we certainly are doing more of that at the moment. So looking at even now non-recruitment profiles. Right, you are. Because everyone's just circling around the same sort of tank aren't they yeah it's it's not really sustainable no and it just drives the salaries up as well doesn't it unfortunately and it's it's just kind of well if you brought that amount in and you're asking for that amount of money that's just crazy because you just you know and i I love to use the example and this answers the question so you know one of the the best uh, hires not to say that it was the best hire but one of the best hires we made i don't think she'll mind me um, saying this she's now moved into an internal role in perth um, Avanti used to work with us back in 2018 and just to set the context so she approached us was you know turning 30 had three children um, originally from Indonesia she was married to at the time uh, Aussie expat here in, right. in Singapore so she had no financial wasn't like she needed to earn money she was comfortable yeah. from what her husband did and she approached us and I liked her intro, so I said, great, come for a coffee in the, in the co-working, and we met her. And I said, look, what do you want, basically, to get to that really basic mm. question? And she almost broke down, and she said, I just need an identity. I've, I've been you know, looking after three rug rats for, for mm. eight years. I've was never had a husband, job. Was that the husband or was that the children as well? <laughs> <laughs> 
I really no shouldn't comment. comment. No comment. I really shouldn't comment. <laughs> just um, provoking, just provoking. God. But, you know, and uh, I think the fact that she really had this, you know, need of this is what I, I want and there was a, you know, enough changes in her life going on that drove her to take action. And for me, that was, that was it. It was like, okay, like, you know what you want. Like, you're going to go through a heck of a lot to get there because it is a tough, tough yeah. role. And so when you said, when she said her own identity, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that's something that I certainly work with a lot of people in the recruitment sector as well, is kind of who are, like, who are you? What do you want to be? What do you want to stand for? Because you don't have to be like everybody else as a recruiter. You can define what that looks like, right? I know it's different in that case. It was, you know, it's a lady and coming back into the workforce, kind of who, who, who am I? Mm. But also I think just... What, what does a consultant really mean? What is a, what is a client looking for from a consultant? Because we all, you know, there's so many kind of, the, I mean, I, I know I'm a recruitment trainer, but there are so many awful kind of these recruitment trainings out there. It's all, you know, influence and close and always be closing. Mm. I hate them. I've always yeah. hated them. I found it really un, un, inauthentic, inauthentic, very unauthentic. Um, and it's not my style. It's not my personality. It doesn't, you know, so... Surely those days must be done. No, right? I, mean, I don't. In Europe, no. I really? think they No, I think they still exist. And I, I think there's just. I just think it's people have got to identify who they are. Recognize. I know that we worked through the strengths with you guys, right? When you guys did the business development program, and I think learning how to pitch or learning how to recruit in your own style on who you are is always going to come from a far better place that, that just makes that person feel natural and perform at their best. Absolutely. Right? I, I always believe that. I, th I mean, I think a lot about that now as well when, you know, people come to you advice when, like I mentioned to you with the, when we did the training on BD and, you know, how, how do I approach this? And I don't think there's ever really a silver bullet, but is this genuine? Yeah. And I always think about, I mean, look, I, I'm a marketing person by heart and that's what I studied and, I, I've read all those, you know, sales books from the 80s and 90s, you know, Grant Cardone, sell it, be sold. If you're not first, yeah. you're last. And yeah. look, some of it holds merit. But <laughs> if you got something in your inbox and we're all flustered, yeah. right? Like we, we're all just desperate for time and we're all got our hands up. Me, 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 look at me, yeah. you know, trying to break through this sea of noise. Yeah. If I'm doing, you know, 20, 30 things at once, you know, more things that I should be doing, I'm trying to be present and someone comes to me with an approach. Nothing wrong with that. But if you can't speak to me and cut through that noise yeah. and make it worth me going, you know what, that's interesting. Let me do a follow-up. And, you know, you haven't done it right. Yeah. And, okay, it doesn't mean because you can't standard, do it again. Because it's a standard 100%. intro. 100%. So, yeah, I always think about this and I don't have the answer to it or, you know, the suggested styles of how to win business and, you know, to build relationships, but I always just try and be genuine. Yeah. Like if I've got something to offer you, like I better believe that what I'm offering is worth your time. But you've got to know who you are. Absolutely. I, I, I really think there's that point, or you, you know, when you're going back to the whole, the recruiter that you bring in. And so does that make it harder for someone like yourself to find the right talent to bring on board? Because it isn't just your usual, right. They've come from a competitor. They've got a track record. What are you really looking for? How can, you, how can you find that just looking at a CV or a LinkedIn? What are we looking for? You, you can't. And what has, what has, I guess, you know, determined success in the past may not guarantee success in the future. And we've yeah. had that. I mean, I've had that where I've came from a hugely successful 
environment. I moved into my previous environment and, you know, it was just almost a career blunder. But, you know, you might look for something thinking, great, okay, yes, you know, you've, you've done really well there. You're in our space. Doesn't mean it's going to work for us for mm. many reasons. You know, the cultural fit, do we share the same vision? Do we just, are we just aligned in personality or, you know, aspirations and goals? And there's a number of different factors. So you need to probably not be so tunnel focused in those decision-making criteria. And I think that's where maybe. That makes it harder then because then you've just got this wider net. The daring then, is you? the challenge because I do think at the moment, yes, you know, we, we do our best with our clients and, you know, we, we obviously want to do a great job, but that's almost now a given. If you're good at what you do and you follow the, the standard, you'll do a good job. I think the challenge is now to really, you know, build a community with like-minded people that you know are going to be builders. They they buy into what you're trying to yeah, do. Yeah, that's the t- that, and I and I hear what you're saying in terms of what that person well, what you're looking to achieve from those people. But how you so, if you're taking away, you're not looking at recruitment experience necessarily. You're looking for someone that maybe shares the same values or has a relationship with failure in a certain way or has certain resilience or has done things in their lives that can demonstrate certain competencies then really it's a list of specific competencies that you as a community say, no, this is definitely what we all share. I don't know what that is. I don't know if, I'm not sure if you know what that might be specifically right now, but that is what you hire mm-hmm. or at least try and go and find. But that's hard. <laughs> it, it, it is hard. It's hard to articulate that as well. Isn't it? Especially when you might, you may have this kind of wolf pack mentality amongst the group. Yeah, we kind of all know what we we want and should do. Yeah, and we but think, what is but it really? Articulating that yeah. and going to market with that is difficult. Yeah. But that's also maybe something that we haven't done well, and we, we could be doing better. But you've got, but you, but the one thing you do have is what all your strengths are, right, and what your non-talents mm. are. So as a group, you have specific vocabulary around the strengths of you as a business, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I even brought we, that with we are, me. We are relators generally. That's, that's yeah, you're one a big of our relator, so you're big on strengths. genuine, authentic relationships. relationships. So that is probably one of the biggest ones in terms of if you go out and hiring people, the, the, how you're interviewing is very much on how do they build relationships? How do you go and build relationships internally, externally? Yeah. What does that look like? How do you go about that? Cause that's something you all share. That, that is very true. I mean, Isn't it? and I'm, we're probably a little bit old school in that regards where we always rely on relationships. And I think sometimes maybe, you know, we're probably too old school here, but when we experience a lull, if there might be a week where we haven't quite hit our interview target. All right, guys, let's get back out there. During COVID times, it's incredibly yeah. hard to go out and meet people, but that's really now changing, thankfully, I hope. So we're a bit old school in the sense of, you know what? Get out there, get some FaceTime with your people, with your market, with your network. Yeah. Find out what's going on. Yeah. You know, listen to them, talk about their plans, spend well, enough time them, with them. them, those, but your recruiters. 100%. Yeah. And that kind of inertia momentum creates opportunity. I always believe yeah. that. I mean, again, I think the old school element, uh, of, you know, get on the phone and create some noise. But, you know, there is merit to that as well. Of Well, they are for your team because your team are high on relator. If you've mm. got a team that are um, pure execution and have very low relationship building skills, they're going to rather do stuff behind their desk and deliver on stuff. So I suppose you, Which without you even realising, you're leading them through their strengths in times where they need to be back into it Absolutely. so that they can. So it's kind of interesting. That leads me on to, I told you I wouldn't follow any of the questions, didn't I? <laughs> I'm literally trying to me. find out which questions I had that I had actually prepared. Um, your top five Clifton strengths were empathy, achiever, belief, futuristic, and input. Mm. 
how would you describe your style as a leader and a recruiter? And what, in, in so many words, look, what could a recruiter or someone looking to come on board expect to, to be led by you? What would that actually look like in reality? Oh, I'm going to put people off from joining if I, <laughs> if I really go into to detail. Um, look, I, I mentioned this to you as well. I think empathy is certainly a double-edged sword. Look, I, I really admire and I think I'm very grateful to have that empathetic ability. But if you don't manage that, manage that in the sense of knowing that you can wear other people's, wear other people's emotions – it can be incredibly exhausting and draining. As I mentioned to you during our training yeah. last year, which, yeah. you know, I'm not afraid to say, you know, it was a rough time because there were so many changes in the business and I was wearing yeah. so many of those, yeah. unnecessarily wearing a lot of those burdens. Yeah, you and put them on your own shoulders. Your coaching tremendously it. helped yeah. in understanding, well, this is what you need to do. Simple things like the daily digest, you know, started meditating a bit more, debriefing with my colleagues, you know, bringing people in on the journey, mm. a lot of these things as well. But it's a lot of mindset coaching there. And I think if you don't manage that, it can be a real detriment, I think, mm. actually. I think, at least from my experience, having the ability to really attune to where people are. And that's something way? that I just felt naturally since I was a kid. I'm surprised when people can't do it, but then I realised, <laughs> well, they're not empathetic. Yeah. Um, well, simple things. When, when someone approaches you, you already know why they're approaching you. So you prepare to address that. Wow. Right? Just this afternoon as well, you know, um, I wanted to reach out to one of the guys about, you know, something that we just need to address in strategy. And I see an email in my inbox saying, hey, you got a minute. And I knew straight away. And we go up the stairs and I'm like, look, glad that you asked. I actually wanted to talk to you. And not prophetic by any means, but it was maybe a bit obvious anyway. But I felt... I know what he's coming to me with. Mm. Great. I'm prepared for this. I want to talk about that. And it leads to a more honest, open discussion. I think having that ability to already tune yeah. to, to where that person is. Well, if you've got someone that was quite low on empathy and do you lead quite heavily with your empathy or do you feel you, that for some people you have to kind of put it in a box sometimes? Because I'm low on empathy. Yeah. So I, may, I would feel quite uncomfortable yeah. with how deep you want to get with me in a work perspective, over wine, absolutely fine. Go for your life. I got a bottle in the fridge. <laughs> We're going to go deep. Like nine, nine o'clock in the morning, start opening up the wine just to get deep. But how does that work for you then, how you have to adapt that empathy for some people that are quite low on empathy? Yeah. That's a good question because I, I have seen it in the, in the past. And I'm certainly, I think at least, I believe I'm, I'm attuned to it now. That may not be, people may not respond well to that who aren't empathetic and they may question the source and the intention of where you are. So there are times where if someone is not uh, empathetic as much as me or really, you know, not on the charts at all. Yeah. I don't know how low in empathy you Mom are. Mum was like 34. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. Low. Yeah. I know. I, I <laughs> I'm surprised we're connecting so well here. I, I know. There's obviously <laughs> other talents that we share. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, you, you do have to be uh, aware of that and, Though for me, I always think, you know, there's, again, there's no kind of one size fits all. Well, what's worked for he or for she is going to work for yeah. them as well. And that's the empathy part, I think, as well, where I really think from that person's shoes. Like what, what would they respond well to? And if mm. someone's extremely analytical, closed off, maybe in that situation – they may respond well to me being quite honest with them because they've just not had that ability, yeah. right? But I need to read yeah. the room. Yeah. I need to think from their perspective. Mm. But 
that only comes as well when you're in a really good place, regardless of how empathetic you when are. When you're being. in a good place or when I your think, relationship I is think in a good empathetic place. empathetic people, you know, there's this belief of if you've got high empathy, you're a great person. I mean, there are some a-holes out there who are very high in empathy. Well, they might be able to, uh, yeah. But they know how feel to. Feel it but don't use it, they, yeah. Well, they feel it and use it. Sometimes they use it for a detriment. Right. They, they're very, uh, you know, and I don't want to. No, I understand. Shoot myself understand. in the foot, but anyway, but I have felt at times as well in the past where I've also tapped into that ability to, I won't say, you know, influence people in certain directions, but you can maybe motivate yeah. someone in a direction where you might question, well, should I be doing this? And I can see yeah, that happen. Okay. I mean, I'm sure there are very successful people in life who have relied on those skill sets and those character traits yeah. to get where they are, yeah. whether it's good or bad. Um, so yeah, these these are things that I think being high in empathy you have to be aware of. Yeah, I mean it's 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 all the rage to be the empathetic leader. Apparently, Adam, huh? See, Apparently. you're up there. You're up there. Um, what surprised you most about going through that whole strengths journey? Because I know I kind of threw it at you guys last year and kind of you know it wasn't just going to be a business development program. I was going to throw that everyone would mm. do their diagnostic, they'd learn about themselves, and then they would adapt their style to what their strengths were. What surprised you most about that whole experience? Specifically, if I have to really reference anything, it's how low in adaptability I am. And it actually provoked me into thinking, all right, well, is this a reason why many points in my career, when I look back at certain career points that were quite pivotal, how I responded to that, it really forced me to think, oh, did I not respond to that situation as well because I wasn't so adaptable? Right. Okay, all right. How does that now impact me as a business leader and a coach and having this big, you know, great growing team? If I, which I perceive adaptability, adaptability to be a really um, integral trait in business leadership and in business in general, but especially, especially as an owner. Ironically, Nick, that's his number one. Though, wasn't it? Yeah. That's his number one. <laughs> that's my 34. Dick. But he's yeah. also quite low on empathy. So there we go. There we go. Talk it about works. how we complement each other. Yeah. So that was a point for me where I had to realize, all right, you know, can this hamstring me or can this really just allow me a moment to be more aware about the areas where perhaps I may not be as adaptable as I want to be in business. It doesn't stop me from being resilient, making decisions and doing all the great things I know I have done in the past that have kind of brought me to where I am. So it was a bit of a moment of, introspectiveness I guess retrospect yeah. how would you yeah. say but I think also that knowing that Nick has it there's that point where you might have to kind of mm. go you know we were talking about the whole strategies all the time that you know the, the tent sunches and it, it might be look can I just check in with this I'm feeling that we should stay as is but actually I need your viewpoint from adaptability perspective do we need to be yep. changing that up and I think it doesn't you don't have to be all those 34 right talents you just need to know who else has them that can complement what you need at that Absolutely. time. That's kind of the beauty of it, isn't it? That was a great part of the training. Um, what values are the most important to you as a leader and how do you encourage a team to live and breathe these? I always find it kind of a, you know, posters on the wall. I don't see any here at the moment, but they're like coming. posters of the values, they're coming. How do you, one, identify those particular values, but also how do you ensure that everyone lives them? Because they might be yours. They may not be shared. So how does – describe that for me. You know, I, I, I guess I, I don't want to be held to saying, like, these are the values I live by. I think my values have 
you know, for most in part, I've really, you know, changed over, over time. Obviously, the central values that I have as an individual, you know, things like family and trust and respect. But I, I think, okay, maybe I'll just, uh, you know, side note here. So I've got this poem. Um, you got this what, sorry? Poem. My Australian accent, my Aussie accent's coming out. Poem, poem, poem. P-O-E-M. P-O. Oh, poem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought you said, I thought you said like pom, oh, like pom, pom. Yeah. And then I thought you meant porn as poem. in the chess, not porn, porn. Yeah. Um, okay, poem. Clearly not an English lit that's... major here, but it's poem <laughs> on my fridge. God, and, um, and the girl from Chatham is correcting you on, on words. I mean, that's oh, really God. saying something because my accent's terrible. It's um, Don't Quit. It's a, it's a lovely poem. Okay. And, um, you know, I guess there's so much to be said about that with, you know, resilience, picking yourself up, like grit, sometimes just having to bear through things yeah. in life. and. And I look back at my life as colourful as it is and, you know, <laughs> continues to be. The proudest moments I've had have been those, those moments. And would I want to replicate that with the team and community? I, I think subconsciously I kind of do. Mm-hmm. And I, I value people who've gone through hardship. Mm-hmm. And I can see the values coming out, you know, and okay. especially when – and these are the things where your empathy it helps, you know, having a lunch with someone where – you may work with them for a year and you've not really got into the very core of like, what's, mm. what's your soul? Mm. You know, what's, what's led you to where you are and who are you as a person? And then you find out, yeah, you know, they've gone through a rough, di- their parents went through a rough divorce and mm. they had a really hard life and, you know, they had yeah. to, you know, be on subsistence for a yeah. few years. And, and then- I think in some Singapore, it's really hard. It, it, it's not hard. It takes time for a leader or a manager they have to invest in that time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that will say, oh, you know, that person didn't do well. They left and we didn't really have a great relationship. And, and I do think that's just laziness on the leader's side. I 100%. think when you're saying to me about See the lunch lot. and really trying to get into the soul, what you haven't said to me is their track record and what numbers they're going to do. You said, I want to get into the soul of this person. What, you know, what, what does it, what is it that makes them tick? Who are they? Yeah, who because are they're they? Because they're not here senior recruitment consultant. No. You know, there's a name and there's a person, there's a soul behind that, right? And, Asking those questions and finding out about those people and finding those common values resonate. You know, yeah. I'm I'm Italian Australian from Perth, you know, and second, third generation Australian. Like I have a very different upbringing coming to Singapore, where it's a very different culture. But there's a lot of shared values yeah. with certain people yeah. on this team. Very yeah. different cultures and backgrounds, but we share some of those values. Mm. I guess some of those values are things like yeah, resilience, you know, going through hardship. The, the trust, respect, things like family, like how people value that, like why they're yeah. doing what they're doing because they want to buy, you know, put a deposit on their sister's house or something like that. So, yeah, I, I don't think we've got this kind of Bible. We do have our five values, but we don't have this kind of Bible of, all right, this is it. If you don't fit that, you're not part of it. But who decided on those values? <sighs> it, it, was, it was kind of a, a collective over time when we also did it in conjunction with actually the – Clifton strengths that we did as a team. And we realized, well, actually, these are pretty much five compatible values to who we are in terms yeah, of strengths. Actually, yeah, your top your top five as a business were were quite strong talents, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Um okay, and that sort of incorporated your values. That's really interesting. Okay. Um so I know we're kind of getting near to the end of the podcast, but what I'd really love to know is what's the future look like? What are you most excited about? We're 2022. What are you most excited about for the business and for yourself and for Nick? What are you looking forward to? 
Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we had a great year. We'd love to obviously, you know, do better um, than last year. I certainly think we, we can and we're capable of doing Do better so. in, in what respect? Um, I think, well, obviously, you know, overall revenue was a, mm-hmm. was a great year. I think everyone worked tremendously hard. We put a lot on the table. We didn't, you know, what's that expression? You know, don't leave anything on the table. I think that was 2021. No one was going on holidays. Everyone's working back late. No one took leave until December. Um, so it'd be great to think, you know, we could do that, obviously, again, more so. I think um, going through our vision for 2025, our goal for 2022, it's got to be also about depth. Rather than looking at distractions and spreading ourselves too thinly, mm. yes, we do have a hiring plan and we want to bring on you know, probably three to four more people this year. We want to get depth. Rather than skimming across a few different markets, yeah. we want to get really good at the markets that you we have. You want to get deep. So what does that mean? Well, that means in Asia Pacific, in terms of permanent recruitment as an agency, when it comes to an amalgamation of words like ESG, sustainability, mm-hmm. risk, corporate governance, legal, renewables, formative search is front of inbox. We may not be a specialist best in Taiwan or offshore wind or certain markets or practices, but when it comes to collectively those areas, we've got a team that is really deep. And deep is you've got a great network. They know you. They like you. They trust you. They go to you. You deliver well. Our tagline is delivering talent to drive business people markets forward and we're talking earlier about what does things mean to you so we say that and we asked everyone what does that mean to you so for me it means when i go into an incredibly difficult mandate with a, a mining company that wants to go green and i know that when i speak to candidates they're going to laugh mm. oh, man, that's just that's bs you know they're not really committed if I've promised and delivered, promised to deliver, I have to deliver. Like, come hell or high water, I need to find a way to find the person that's going to go into that role, do their best, and ideally allow that business to influence the market in some way. And we've done that with some of our clients. Sure, it's not 100% of the time, but you want to go into your day and your work knowing that you actually can influence something. Like, what does it mean to you when you pick up that job? And it's a challenge in search and you know the pitfalls ahead. What else are you looking forward to? I personally, I really want a little bit more balance. Do you? And I want, and that will resonate, I think, hopefully with, with all of us. And we've talked about this, but mm. just a bit more of a balanced, healthy, I guess, work-life balance, right? <laughs> if that's possible. But Is that hours? Is that just... Not more fun. taken on to, yeah, more okay. Fun. Oh my God, like, I think I had the let's, same conversation let's go for recently. A, let's go for a yoga <laughs> class at Yoga Movement opposite. I've right. just signed up. I've only done two classes. But, right. It's a start. You know, it's a start. Yeah. But, you know, guys, great. Instead of having, you know, a carton of Coronas, yeah. like, let's book a 90-minute hot yoga class. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's get a private yoga teacher to come here on the roof and we'll do a Monday morning yoga session. You've got a beautiful setup up there Like, for that. let's do yeah. some wellness sessions. Like, yeah. let's ideally think about, once we can, going back and doing proper incentive yeah. trips somewhere. It's even when you start a virtual virtual meeting with people, you could do a one, two minutes meditation before you get into it. Like, can we all just sit? Are we all, Are because yeah. I've just gone, just done a um, level two coaching course. And one part of that is this relationship you have with your coaches, those early stages saying, okay, I know, you know, how are you? You've just come from one meeting to the next. Are you in the right state? Is there anything you need to do to get into that right state mm. with me right now? We've got an hour. But that's not, not to disregard not- that. I think that's fantastic what you're doing and you should. It's really 
<laughs> I wouldn't use those words in a virtual with to your team. To disarm people. But right? what I'm, yeah, it is. But you've got empathy, so they'll probably expect it. But it's that kind of, right, before we all start, can everyone just take 30 seconds, mm. just close their eyes and just, just, yeah. just be present. Mm-hmm. If you need to turn off your phones, if you need to turn off your distraction, please do that because we're going to have a real f- packed hour. Yeah. And, it's, and it can be face-to-face, it can be anywhere. But I think we just, there's so many distractions that we don't stop. And then when it comes to like, we're talking about, you know, when you're trying to get to know someone and this reflective learning and getting to know who people are, we can't do that with all these distractions. We can't really listen to, to people, can we? No. We can't listen in a meeting or in a virtual when we've, we've just sat down because we've just come back from one meeting to the other. So do we change our meetings to 45 minutes on our outlook and that that 15 minutes is just all about prep before we go into an internal meeting? It's like those little changes that can just ground people. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a, I think, I think it just is so useful to slow people down with the yeah. runners, especially if you've got people in your team that are high achievers, right? That real, you know, activators, get stuff started fast, 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 which I think yeah. we have. It's, it's paramount. It's especially, the change of the management style in a way. It's like it's really small yeah. little niche, but just centers people a bit. I, I completely agree. I think also it just helps to prevent people from burning out. I know that word gets tossed around a lot, but I've out. recruitment, it can, yeah. I mean, you can burn out a lot of times. Yeah. And, you know, and the more you do it, it, it can get really hard to, to pull yourself back into yeah. that center lane. So uh, when I say fun, I think, yeah, just injecting this, this sense of appreciation and respect and recognition for the fact that, look, it is, it's a tough time. Yes, we're doing well. Markets are good. You know, business is good, but, People are working really hard and it takes yeah. a toll. Yeah. Like I love that it. yours was a healthy fun. I love to hear that, that when you said fun, it wasn't, we're going to go out and we're going to party. We're going to do that. It's kind of like, yeah. and I know there's an element of that. Of course, we all, we all need that. But what you've said is that we'll inject that with a yoga that we're all going to go and do. A yoga. You know, that to me is so much more. Enriching, right? It gives, it gives you so much more energy. It really does. Because that's the reason why so people want to stay working from home because they want to have time to do the yoga. Mm-hmm. So you could probably get encouraged more people to be back collaborating in the office if they had more injections of what we really need, which is just a little bit of time out sometimes, right? Um, I've got one last question to ask sure. you, which is part of my rapid fire round. What one piece of advice have you received that still rings true today? Mm. You can't love anybody else until you love yourself. Love it. Thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure, Andrea. Thank you so much. Speak again soon. And I'm sorry I didn't um, ask all the questions that are on that list because it was never good. We'll do it again. Yeah, exactly. Um, If you'd like to get in contact with Adam, then please check out the notes on the episode where his contact details will be found and details of anyone else mentioned on the show. If you've enjoyed the podcast, don't be stingy, share it. You can also rate uh, the podcast on on Spotify now, which is great. Um, This podcast is brought to you by The Crew Establishment. We are a team building, leadership development, coaching, e-learning, God, it's a long one, an HR consultancy business. If you're looking to get your team to high performance and you're looking for your own Wendy from Billions, which I think one of your team actually said, we've got our own Wendy from Billions, which I'm so going to keep that, then please reach out to me. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. You have been listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast by The Career Establishment. To learn more about The Career Establishment, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.